Hello and welcome. You are listening to... What are they listening to? The Investor Lab. <laughs> the Investor Lab. Who are you? I'm Gabby. And I'm Goose. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> We're our, back. Our intros are getting better and they better. They are, aren't they? Back great. once again with the ill behavior. Anyway, so yep. we are back with the final, the wrap up. We the have, season finale. We have wrapped it up. This is the episode where The Bachelor finally gets married. Is that what happens on that show? I don't know. I'd say so. I've got no idea. This is the day that the block gets sold. Hey. Is, that what ha- is that what happens on that show? Real estate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what happens on season finales on TV, but this is like that. It's Houses wh- get sold and people get married. There yeah, you go. Okay. That's it. Are you proposing to me? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm <sighs> nope. Awkward. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so cool. Um, <laughs> cool. Mo- moving right along. <laughs> so moving right along. So this is the season finale of the Hunting Hotspot series. Now, in this episode, we dig into why this is the season finale. We don't need to do that right now. No. Just listen to it and you'll find out. But the big three drivers that we cover in this episode are uh, the ripple effect, sea change, tree change, and jobs notes. And then we kind of do a bit of a wrap up and talk about why this is important and how we hope it's, hope it's benefited you, all of that kind of stuff. Yep. But Gabby, what was your biggest takeaway out of this episode, do you think? I just love tying it all tying it all together, tying it up in a nice, neat little package. Nice. Nice package. But we, we brought in a lot of the previous drivers as well and kind of relating them to each other and how they're all they're all like different colours on the on the colour wheel and how we can use them together to better inform and educate and empower people as in- investors and how you can use this information to make better decisions and make better investments and actually apply the education that you have in the real world and not just listen to areas that you're told to kind of where you should buy. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So, you know, this is, this is I think, a really uh, deeply considered and very impactful episode, I think, as a way to wrap everything up and a good uh, prompt that if you haven't listened to all of the previous Hunting Hotspots episodes, you probably should. Yep. But let's get into it, Gabby. What do you think? Awesome. Let's do it. Cool. And again, if you want some one-on-one help to, to, to navigate the, 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 well, I don't know, whatever. If you want help to buy a property... <laughs> Um, then we do that. We do that for very specific people, not for everyone. Uh, but if you want to find out if we might be able to help you, then reach out and let us know. And if we can't help you or we're not a good fit or whatever the case may be, because, we again, we're not for everyone. We, what we do is quite specialist. So if we're not a good fit, then we'll refer you to someone who is a good fit yep. because regardless of whether we can help you or not, we want you to succeed. We want you to win. Mm-hmm. So let us know. And if you want to download this guide uh, to make sure you get the most out of this whole series, then head to theinvestorlab.com.au forward slash resources. I don't know. I just made up the forward slash. Is that a real thing? Is that a place I to be- believe it's thing give it a go give it give it a crack somewhere there all right guys without any further ado i look forward (laughs) to seeing you on the inside hey guys welcome back to the investor lab gabby hello hello how are you guys you're good we're good yeah we're good <laughs> the collective crowd the thing, joining me. Yeah, yeah. The the thing with podcasts is it's just me and you in the <laughs> room. No crowd. There is no crowd. Hello and welcome. <laughs> I'm good. Can you tell? Why? I went to the gym for a few endorphins. You got the dwarfs. Got the dwarfs. High on dwarfs. High on dwarfs. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> oh, gee whiz. That was a, that suddenly went downhill. Oh, how are you? I'm actually good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm jacked up on the dwarfs as well. Dwarfs are good. Dwarfs are underrated. They are. They are indeed underrated. Should let more people know about the dwarfs. What are we doing today, Gabby? I, I don't, don't think know. people can't hear knows? about us. Who get, knows what we're doing? We do. Don't tell people. Except that. us. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Everyone expects us to know what we're doing. We know what we're doing, guys. We know what we're here. <laughs> What are we going to be talking about today? You know what? Hunting hotspots. Mm. But we're doing it a little different, guys. We are. We're doing it a little different. Indeed. We're going we're gonna to jam-pack the final three core drivers into this one mega episode. Why are we doing that? Because we basically determined that this is probably going to finish in about 
April 2021. <laughs> and we went, that's it's not acceptable. Long. It's long. It's not- that's not okay. Do you remember so- Do you remember when you were doing like a, a project at uh, in high school or whatever, or primary school probably, or high school, whatever, you were doing like a project and um, and you had to like write the, the title like and you were drawing it? Yes. And then you were like, you, you worked out, okay, it might be whatever the word is. And then you always stuffed it up and left the last couple of letters that were too close to the end. And your first letter is perfectly spaced. <laughs> the second letter is perfectly spaced. And by the time you get to the ING, it's just like squeezed. Mm, yep. in, yes. It's kind of like that. So this is the ng. <laughs> <laughs> we're running too close to the edge of the page. We're squeezing them in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. Yep. There's another reason as well. Yes, what's that? Well, the other reason is that, you know, we kind of wanted to book in this. We did want to book in this in a year. We thought yeah. we we didn't we clearly didn't like we, the part of the part of the part of the thing is that we have added so much more content to this podcast. When we started this series, I think it was back in June or something. I can't even remember. Wow. Yeah, it was um it was a while it was a fair while ago and um at the time the format was either you and I were doing an episode or I was doing an episode with a guest, right? Mm-hmm. And so we kind of looked at it and we went, yeah, okay, there's essentially 11 episodes in this. Yeah, cool, great. It'll come out over the next period of time. But then we started adding in more stuff. We started adding in um, – we didn't just want to talk about hunting hotspots, you and I. So we're like, okay, we'll do the hunting hotspots like every second time that we catch up and talk. But then we also threw in, um, you know, got Charlie in the mix doing a pretty regular spot and then we – and then we did, uh, and then we added some investor stories as well. And all of a sudden, it's um, it's elongated our our runway to the mm-hmm. point that at one stage we were looking at it, and it was going to take us until, I think it was like June twenty twenty one, and so we sort of went, okay, hang on a second, what are we doing here? Not only that, like moving into the new year, I want to be able to wipe the slate clean a little bit and mm. and and think about how else we're going to be showing up in the world and what value we're going to be bringing and who we're going to be bringing that for and all of that kind of stuff. So. I think it's really good for us to give this some some finality, mm-hmm. and uh, not least of which we've covered so much ground. Like, we have, yeah, like these kind of like the last three that we're going to be covering today do kind of in some ways touch on stuff we've already spoken about before. Yeah, even though they are like distinctly they're distinctly different characteristics, yep. they do they do have they they harken back to some of our previous episodes. Yeah. So I think it's it's okay for us to sort of truncate these ones a little bit and get them into get them into a usable format because at the end of the day there's a whole document that people can download to go and take these home as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to get that, um, the uh, how to identify a real estate hotspot, just head to theinvestorlab.com.au, go to the resources section, download it. It's free. There's loads of cool stuff in there, so you can ch- so you can like go and digest all of them. So it's not like this is the single receptacle of truth. There's a whole document that we've got that you can have. So it's, I think it's okay. Mm. This is kind of the beauty of of what we're talking about through the series as well is that they're all kind of – it's a beautiful mix of these 10 core drivers where they all kind of mesh in together and they all complement each other. It's like a colour wheel really, going back to that primary school analogy. It's, it's like, like a colour wheel. You know, you've got <laughs> – testing my colour knowledge. Three, <laughs> three, three primary colours. Are you sure there's only three? Oh, don't do that. <laughs> There's three. There's three. I'm, I'm sticking with it. But what about rainbows? There's loads of colours in rainbows. Yeah, that's a different conversation. It's <laughs> a different podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's kind of you've got these ten core primary colours <laughs> that you know they all compl- like some of them really complement each other. Some are like at opposite ends of the spectrum. Others are like right next to each other where they kind of kind of related but they're a little bit different so mm, yeah I, I like i like that i do actually like that analogy that you just used because it's kind of like you know you don't need if, if these are the 10 colors on your your palette right and you're a painter mm-hmm. it's really about what type of painting you're going to make with these colors and you don't need a huge smorgasbord. you don't need every color in the universe to to paint a masterpiece and if you've got these 10 and understand them then you're going to be able to paint a beautiful picture for your own life. Mm. Mm. Good analogy we just pulled out of nowhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so just a quick recap before we go into this one. So we the first, the first category was – I'm just going to quickly run through them. So number one was transport and infrastructure. 
Number two was the ugly duckling syndrome. Uh, number three was urban renewal and government policy. Number four, lifestyle features. Number five, boomtown syndrome. Number six, the stayers. Number seven, which was the last one we did, education and medical infrastructure. And so that means that in this episode, we're going to be touching on things like the ripple effect, sea change and hill change, and jobs notes. And we'll even do a little bit of a wrap-up and a little conclusion. What do you think? Sweet. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. Sweet. So, the ripple effect. What's that? (laughs) The ripple effect is essentially the concept that um, capital growth tends to ripple outwards from um, typically major major centres, so major cities or um, regional centres kind of starts in the very center so the 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 imagery is like if you drop a pebble in water it's that ripple outwards and it creates these rings that spread outwards so that can happen over a period of years in terms of capital growth um in a location right yep yeah no it's a good analogy it's a good analogy because what it actually is it's an afford it's an affordability wave mm-hmm. right so what typically happens if you imagine the now, this isn't exclusive to capital cities, and we'll kind of touch on this uh, in a moment. The easiest way to think about it is is with a capital city. If you imagine that it, when there's a real estate cycle, right, because real estate's moving in cycles and waves, right? So, we, a lot of people, when they think about a real estate cycle, they think about it as a circle because they think like when they put their washing on, on cycle, uh, you know, it goes around and around and around. But real estate cycles happen in kind of waves. They go up and down and sideways and stuff like that, right? So... Mm-hmm. The when a when a particular capital city goes through a cycle, what tend what tends to happen is that the prices will go up closer to the center first, and then that price rise will slowly move itself outwards in a in a concentric circle kind of kind of fashion or a, or in a ripple kind of fashion, uh, and we kind of see that hugely play out in places like Sydney and Melbourne. You know, a good example is um, in you know. It, We'll use Melbourne as an example here because I've got some numbers on that. Um, if you look at um, Glen Iris, Ashburton, and um, Chadston, you know, like Glen Iris is, is more expensive than Ashburton and, and Chadston. In 2019, the the median price in Glen Iris was $1.8 million and Ashburton was $1.05 million and in no hang on sorry 1.65 million and in Chadston was 1.05 million and this is just an example of how that that kind of plays out now a lot of people think that that just means that the cheaper stuff is on the edges but here's a different way to think about it it's actually the movement of price that changes so whilst it is probably true that on the outskirts of the suburbs uh, outskirts of the cities is where you're going to find lower prices when we actually think about price movement, it, ha- it tends to happen in waves. So if, for example, the, the inner, inner suburbs were to go up by 10%, you would expect that that is then going to move itself concentrically outwards to the outer suburbs and they slowly will all come up by 10%. This is very general in nature, mm-hmm. right? And what that is, it's just an indication of, of prices rising in a more desirable suburb and people going, you know what? It's just probably a little bit outside of my reach right now. It's not as affordable as it once was. I just, I, it's kind of past a precipice for me. I'm happy to go to the suburb next door where the prices, where I'm still quite close to where I want to be and the prices are just a little less. And then because of that demand movement, what tends to happen is those prices then go up because of the demand and the same process happens again and again and again and people get pushed further and further out. Do you see this as it's a good um, coupling with the ugly duckling Hmm. in terms of people might be want to be in one location but actually affordability puts them slightly further out, a little ring further out and through that process, that's how that ugly duckling starts to Yep, form. 100%. It's, a, it's, it's good. I'm really glad you tied it back to that because you're right. It is exactly – that is pretty much what happens. You know, people – there's a desirable, desirable pocket and then people go, okay, what's the next best thing because the price has gone up and they go to the next one and the next one and the next one. Now, the idea that it happens in an exact circle isn't true, right? There are other factors in there in terms of things like accessibility, transport, and all of these other kind of factors. So if you look back through the rest of the hunting hotspots, you're actually going to see the kind of drivers that would indicate one area would do this rather than another. However, when you're looking at um, looking at a market that, that is growing, you can then kind of, if you look at what the other drivers are, transport, jobs, all of this kind of stuff, you can go, okay, well, if the prices have risen there, 
where are they going to rise next? And you can position yourself on the edge of that ripple. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is that this doesn't just happen in capital cities and it isn't just um, like it isn't constrained to that. It happens on a macro level as well. So if you think about the fact that in like 2000, in the early 2000s, I think it was around 2001-ish or whatever, uh, Brisbane started a boom. That as prices went up in Brisbane, people then started moving to the Sunshine Coast. But that there was a lag. You know, there was a lag there of a good few years. Uh, vice versa, you know, you see people, you see the part of the reason that Tasmania um, has broadly performed quite well and specifically Hobart is because of that affordability because there was real estate booms on the mainland, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, and that drove prices up. And then people looked for affordability and lifestyle and these other kind of things that we've spoken about before and then moved to those areas. And then you can kind of see it on a macro level as well and you can start to think, okay, well, if prices in Sydney and Melbourne have gone up and they're becoming not affordable, where are people going to go next? And and then when you tie that in with the other factors of the hunting hotspots, that's where you can start to see where those trends are going to go. Hmm. And I guess you can think about it, like if we go back to all the infrastructure points, you can think about it. Um, in terms of like direction of which way the ripple goes, because you're right, it's not it's not usually a, a perfect circle out. Yeah. Um, I mean, Melbourne's probably the closest you would get to it, kind of actually circling out um, at different points and different times and whatnot. Um, but with the infrastructure, it's kind of like uh, a lot of those projects get put in places that pull the ripple out that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so that, that's, that's, planned, that's planned urban renewal and planned infrastructure yeah. projects that are designed to pull a ripple in a certain direction. Yeah, so you think like, again, I'm going to use Melbourne as the example, but you think like Sunshine becoming a major employment hub, that is going to pull the ripple further out. That way where it's kind of the ripple's kind of gone maybe north and then southwest and then southeast yeah. as well where it hasn't quite gone that northwest. Um, so it's going to kind of pull the ripple out that way. And then the same as like we were talking about um, medical Im- and education infrastructure. Yep. If you think about like the university out at, out at Chadston, it's like putting that there, group pulled the ripple out towards it as well from the city of Melbourne towards out that way. So I think, again, combining this with infrastructure as well, is going to help to identify kind of which way the ripple is going to go because it will naturally fill in between. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So it's a really good rule of thumb. Like you can make a lot of money out of this if you start paying attention to the trends. Like I always think trends are way more interesting than static data. Anyone can say this is what is happening. Mm-hmm. But if you can look at a trend and understand what the basis is of the trend, you can start to position yourself on the front edge of demand. You know, the easiest way to make money in business, in real estate or whatever, is not to try and invent demand, but just to work out where the demand is going and stand in front of it. Hmm. Right? And that's that's the goal. Like that is that is our goal as buyers agents. That's what we do very well is we go, hmm, okay, so the demand is now there. Like that's where the peak of the demand wave is right now. So like one of the one of the things that we look for or one of the signs that says we need to look for the next part of the ripple is when we're in a market, we typically get into a market first. We're, we're very good at being uh, first first to market in certain locations. And then what tends to happen is that other people will then start to notice the trend after we did. And then they will, other investors and buyers agents and all that kind of stuff will start to move into an area. And then what we'll see is we'll see the demand pick up, which is great because it's what drives growth. Then we'll see things like multi-offers and all of this kind of stuff happening. And then that is that's that is a key indicator for us to go, mm-hmm. okay, cool. So here is where the demand is now, mm-hmm. which is great because it's where we were. Where are we going to go next? Where is the demand going to move to next? When these prices go up, what's going to change? Where are people going to go and why? Because there's always a big question about affordability. Yeah. So- I, think, I think with that as well, it's also about like making sure that because it's all – we can be as educated as we want to be and we can learn all of this and we can understand these principles. But um, it does come down to as well, it's like it is relatively speculative, any of these points. So like even which way is demand going and where is it going to go next? Like to some degree it is speculation. I would, so it's Yeah, I mean to, to a certain degree, yes, but I don't want to – I'm interested in your point, but I would say that it's only speculation if you don't look at the other factors. 
right? I, Fair, I, yeah. I, I, I think, I think as I think anything that you think is going to happen in the future is speculation. Yep. Like, okay, so I'm speculating that if I count my calories and go to the gym every day, I'm speculating that I will lose weight. Mm-hmm. It is only fact once it has happened and then I can say, aha, my speculation or my assertion or my assumption was correct. Yep. However, if we can take some known factors, if we, if you just, if you're on the edge of a city and then you go, okay, well, I don't know, like I guess prices are going up here. I guess I'm going to go buy some farmland because it's just going to keep going that way. That might not make sense. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the other factors and if you look at things like, uh, you know, uh, where are rents rising? Where are vacancy rates dropping? Where are jobs? Where are jobs happening? Where are people moving, and why? What are the key things? And look at all these other factors, and look for where you can get some different some of these factors to meet together. You're you're significantly increasing the probability of your success, just in the same way that hey, you could you could track your calories and go to the gym every day, and not lose weight. However, it is much more likely. That if you track your calories every day and, and eat less calories than you burn and go and exercise for one hour every day, it is much more likely you're going to lose weight than if you just speculated that, hey, if I just walk in the door and out of the door of the gym, I've technically checked in and checked out and I'm tracking my calories and it doesn't really matter what they are. I'm just like I'm looking at them. You've got to sort of think about how to layer these things together. And I think that would significantly increase people's chance of success, which is quite like actually why I really like this whole series because once people can start to think about these things – and along with the whole rest of the whole last year's worth of podcasts and stuff like that that we've been doing, talking about things like psychographics and all of these kind of overlays, that's what's going to allow people to start to see the patterns and see the trends and start to weed through this kind of stuff to increase their chance of success. Yeah, and I guess I guess when you when you peel it all back, like speculating is all anyone is ever doing in this industry, right? As you said, you can you can arm yourself up with this knowledge and these tools. But anything that isn't currently fact and is discussing potential future is a speculation in one way or another. You can be you can be ninety nine point nine percent confident that that is going to happen, but yep. in some degrees it's still speculation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think using all of these points together, it's an, it's in the same way. Like you can speculate which way a ripple is going to go and position yourself there in front of the demand before it gets there but if that is kind of the only thing and there's nothing else really driving it then you're also speculating on the timing of how long that's going to take so i think of the example of like when kind of geelong in geelong they announced all the major new offices being relocated there a lot of people were like oh you gotta buy in lara which is basically in the middle of the highway between Middle of nowhere, basically. Melbourne and Geelong, and everyone kind of said, "Oh, Lara, you got to get in Lara now." They've just they've renounced all this stuff in Geelong. Like Lara's going to go off because it's halfway between, which is in some ways correct because they're thinking, you know, infrastructure yeah. going that way. Um, it's true on like a twenty-year macro. Yeah, like- but it's about yeah, it's about the timing of okay, the ripple is going to go this way, but I'm speculating how long that ripple is going to take. And it's kind of like if you can afford to just sit there yeah. and wait for the ripple, then fine, do that. But if you're if you don't want to wait an an undetermined amount of time and you want to have a bit more control, then you need to look at a few more of these drivers that we've been talking about rather than just going, Well, the ripple has to go that way eventually, which I think a lot of people think. I think a lot of people Again, you think about Melbourne and you think about the inner rings and people kind of think, well, if I position myself kind of this far away from the city, which is the same as like Brunswick distance away, but in that direction, like it has yeah. to kind of go that way eventually, right? And it's yeah. like pr- probably will. Yeah, eventually. Who knows when that's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. And it's a, That's a really great analogy because you've got to look at what the other differentiating factors are. Like mm. ripples in and of themselves don't do anything. You've got to look at... What are the characteristics of which way that's going and how might that impact on the future prosperity or or the near field potential? So the Lara example is really great because if you if you said, okay, well theoretically Geelong is a is a node and that would have its own ripple effect. And Melbourne is a node and that would have its own ripple effect. Now you can kind of go, okay, well, where are they going? And then look at the other factors. And if there is like Lara doesn't have a lot going for it, right? There's no big infrastructure projects or construction. Like it's sure it's lovely, right? If you're listening mm-hmm. to this in Lara, I'm not having to go. But there's not 
there's none of those kind of major growth drivers there because of the supply. There's still a lot of land there, right? And so that that in and of itself is going to be a detrimental factor which would slow down the, the prosperity or the, or the potential of that area to grow. Same kind of thing in the area of Pimpamar. Now, you can look at Brisbane and the Gold Coast and you can very clearly see there is a growth corridor that is going to be happening between the Gold Coast and Brisbane. And it is already starting to happen, just in the same way that between Geelong and Melbourne, there is a growth corridor that is slowly being built out. However, when you look at the impact of supply on those kind of areas, you can start to see that you're more likely to have to wait a long time. So if you're playing a 20-year game, sweet, awesome. It's probably one of the best things you can do is to buy cheap land in the way of where you perceive a growth corridor is going to be. But you've got to have the money to wait Mm-hmm. And you've got to, and that is that's a long-term speculation play. Whereas I would much rather go, okay, well, where can I position myself on the front edge of demand and reduce my chance of risk or my probability of risk? Mm. The flip side of that is it, you could also try and do, do more of like a boomtown strategy. So, like again, using Lara, there is Avalon Airport. So when they, I think they was announced, they may have announced, but I think there was an announcement about doing international flights in and out of there. Mm. And I'm pretty sure after that announcement like median prices in Lara and Avalon, that area went up because people were like, oh, that's the place to be. They're about to do international flights. But then it pretty quickly subsided. Yeah. Because it may have not gone ahead or it just kind of, because there's nothing else pulling people to that area. There's there's oversupply and there's nothing else there. It was like there's this one, one trick pony of the airport and then that kind of fizzled and now there's still the oversupply and there's still nothing else pulling people there. Totally. So, sorry if you're listening in Lara. <laughs> but you know what's really interesting about this ripple effect is it actually plays into these other two things that we're going to be talking about as well. Yep. Right, because it, it – so, so uh, number nine is uh, sea change and hill change. Now, mm-hmm. now I'll, we'll tie all this stuff together at the end of this episode because they all kind of interrelate because we've touched on the, – the number ten is jobs nodes, right? So, what we specifically yep. were just talking about then – was the fact that unless it has a jobs node, unless it's got these other kind of driving factors going towards it, people are probably aren't going to move there. Now, sea change and hill change is one of the biggest um, – sea change more specifically. For the last 20, 30 years, everyone's known about the sea change trend and everyone wants to live near the beach. And you know, I think the majority of Australians live within 50 kilometres of the beach. You know, The vast majority of Australians live within 50 kilometres of the beach. Mm. And, and this has been a, a, a huge – driver of growth over you know over the last 20 30 years but it's easy to sit there and think oh well as long as i buy near the beach it's going to go pretty well however again part of the reason people move to places like like sea change locations we'll get to hill change in a second but part of the reason people move to sea change locations is because they want to have a better lifestyle for cheaper right Mm -hmm. so they might be in sydney or whatever and they're like i'm sick of being in the concrete playground I want to live somewhere that's closer to a beach um, and I can, you know, have a better lifestyle. And it's typically driven by a bit by affordability as well. Not always because you have places like Palm Beach and stuff which are crazy expensive too. But the point the point being that um, there's still other differentiating factors. It's not as simple as buy near the beach and you will get rich. It's it has to have other factors as well. So if you look at if you take, for example, the New South Wales coast, you can there's there's dozens Literally, could even be hundreds, I'm not even sure, of towns along the beach. However, some of them have grown very well and others have not. And in fact, you can look at the same thing in Victoria, you can look at the same thing in any state in Australia and you can look at some seaside locations which have gone very, very well. I've seen a lot of growth and others that haven't. And if we use Sunshine Coast as an example, now that was had the benefit of being, being affected by the ripple effect which we t- touched on earlier. Um, but... It was by the beach, but it didn't really. It wasn't really growing much. It was actually a bit of an underperformer because it didn't have other things going for it as well, until the ripple effect started to kick in. And at the same time, they started adding infrastructure projects and jobs projects and all of that kind of stuff there. So then that's what started to push that to drive and to grow as well. So all of a sudden, you start combining things like affordability and also jobs and also ripple effect and also you know lifestyle and all these other factors. Hmm. It's funny, I was having this exact conversation with my mum the other day about, um, because we see this obviously, particularly through 2020 and kind of the last six to nine months, the, you know, the exodus to affordability and lifestyle 
where people are just realizing that they can work from anywhere. Not everyone, but a lot of people are going, hey, I can work from home permanently and people are putting in requests to do that. And then the, on the back of that is, okay, well, I can work from home. Why, why am I working here? Why do I live here? Oh, I moved here because work is nearby, but now I don't need to live near work. Why do I live in this city that I don't like when I can go, again, like most people have a pull to eventually live by the beach, right? It's a generalization, but (laughs) but research shows that that's relatively accurate. Or hill hill change, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, So people are thinking through that. So my mum was actually talking about this and she actually pointed out, she... I hadn't actually talked about that we, we're seeing this in the data at the moment through our business. But she was like, I just imagine a lot of people are like want to want to move to the beach. Like, why don't they just go to like, surely you just pick a small, sleepy, like beachside town anywhere like on the East Coast. Like there'd be heaps of places and you just pick one. You go kind of near a city, but you just go maybe an hour out of the city and you get nearly as good like lifestyle but you're only an hour drive to like the infrastructure you need or whatever and surely because everyone kind of wants to move to the coast now and because people feel like they can move to the coast now um surely then prices are gonna prices are gonna rise all along the coast and in all of those towns like surely you can pretty much wing it at the moment and i i was walking her through like the infrastructure and Mm. how there's like i don't know how many towns there are along the whole east coast but thousands i imagine um where not all of them experience price growth and we were talking through like a lot of it is about um transport infrastructure and the accessibility to that place Mm. is still what people want like people might like the idea of I'm going to go and live in like a little remote town and that's going to be me. I'm going to be a nomad and do all that. But realistically, people can't function like that. Most people can't function like that permanently. So people still want like accessibility to wherever they need to go. People still want good internet. People still want roads. People still want um, a hospital nearby, you know. There's still all of these factors that is kind of why not every town along the coast no. has these huge booms. Totally. I mean, you look at Yamba as an example. We'd love to talk about Yamba on this show. Totally, yep. <laughs> we should get sponsored by like Yamba Tourism or something <laughs> like that. That'd be hilarious. That'd be, have a real estate podcast sponsored by Yamba Tourism. Um, no, but like it, the reality is, you know. The Yam- Yamba's terrible. Don't go there, guys. Don't go there. Don't it, go. Sucks. it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. Um, yeah, part of the reason that that started to really grow in value, like prices started shooting up there, was because they did a, a highway expansion. So they turned mm, the yep. the um, was it the Pacific Highway or whatever they they it was a huge project to widen that and you know make the roads better, and all of a sudden people could get there easier. Prices shot up, like yep. prices have gone up by fifty percent in the last five years. Yep. However, however, if you look just down the coast at a place called Woolai, Woolly Woolai, if you're from there, let me know. Woolly, Woolly. <laughs> W-O-O-L-I, Wooly. If you're in Wooly, let us know. <laughs> anyway, so so I'm going to call it Wooly. So Wooly doesn't have as much infrastructure, right? So it doesn't have the same internet infrastructure, doesn't have the same commerce, doesn't have the same. Now, beautiful. Be- beautiful. 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 Right? So it's a beautiful spot on the beach, ostensibly, you know, similar. Yeah, it's like a beachfront location on the east coast, just surrounded by forests. Hey, wonderful, amazing. But it doesn't have enough stuff there to make it um, as desirable. So you've still got to look at these things like what are the core industries and all of that kind of stuff. Now, one of the reasons that that some uh, coastal locations have performed better than others is because the ones that are most reliant on tourism as a single source of their of their economy tend to have more fragile growth growth cycles. So, for example, you can look at some places in the the mid to far north Queensland coast where their single the single economic driver is the fact they're close to the Great Barrier Reef. And they have typically underperformed in growth because they don't have other factors. Like mm. they might not, they might have, they might have things like agriculture, but it's not a major center. If you look at somewhere like Rockhampton, now Rockhampton is a major agricultural center. Plus, there's mining. Plus, there's, it's got four or five different factors in it, right? Now, only reason I use Rockhampton is because that has a diversified economy. But if you then say look at somewhere like Early Beach, the predominant industry there is tourism. And so, 
on that basis, it, it's seasonal and all of this kind of stuff as well. And so there's more fragility there. Fragility there. However, when these desirable seaside locations can also couple that with more long-term projects, so it could be uh, expanding on infrastructure and, tra- and accessibility, but also then um, creating more jobs in the area, that's when it start, they really start to take off. Mm. Do you think internet is a big factor? Nowadays, yes. Yeah, because I was just thinking through, like, even <laughs> even when we went to Yamba, we went to Yamba, guys, in case you didn't know, we went to Yamba. Sponsored by Yamba Tourism. <laughs> um, when we went to Yamba, part of the point, we, we kind of had an idea when we were going like, up the coast that we wanted to go to Yamba and we'd stay there for a couple of weeks. Um, but the biggest part was what is the internet situation? Because we run our business online and people who progressively more and more people are working from home permanently so internet is such a big thing so when we were going there we were like if it doesn't have nbn or doesn't have really high speed internet we just can't stay here yeah we, we do podcasts we yeah. do all kinds of stuff we need to be able to upload them like it's just not it's not even like a desirable it's like we just couldn't stay probably more than a day no. is just the reality of our situation right now and i think a lot of modern businesses and modern business owners who run their businesses online are in the same boat. So it's like you might find a beautiful location and has infrastructure like in terms of transport gets there but you get there and there's like no phone reception yeah, and no internet and you're like, it's beautiful and I love it here but I just can't stay here because I can't, I can't do what I need to do. Great place for a holiday. Totally. Yeah. Great, great place for a holiday but maybe not a place that you would want to set up a, uh, a commercial enterprise or bed yourself in for the long term if... Yep if you have a need to be connected with the outside world. Yeah. So you got other things as well, like um, like uh, rail. So rail, so you've got internet rail, mm-hmm. road, uh, airports and stuff like that. Because part of the, one of the reasons that Byron Bay has, um, apart, aside from its proximity to places like Brisbane and, and whatever being, being so far up the uh, New South Wales coast, is also it's um, uh, the Ballina Airport and places mm-hmm. like that. So Ballina has gone well because of the Ballina, Ballina Airport too. Because... People can move to those locations and live there. And the reality is, even if they have a, a job in Sydney, they might be able to negotiate now to go, look, I'm happy to come to Sydney once a month or even once a week, depending on what they're doing, and they can get to the airport, fly to Sydney, do a day in the office and fly back and do it all in one day and have every other day of the week living by the beach. All right? Now, I won't lie, when we were up the coast, I was weighing up those decisions. I was like, <laughs> I was like hmm, Cheaper to live up here, better lifestyle. Need to go to Sydney from time to time. Warmer, you like slightly warmer. I like I like the heat. I'm a hot house flower. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so so like thinking about those other factors of like, okay, how would I be able to get around? Like, is it is it practicable? Right? Is it practicable to get around? Get around because you could also then say, well, you got a place like Weeper in far north Queensland, which is on the coast. Is it actually on the coast? Anyway, pick somewhere on the Gulf of Carpentaria. And um, and go okay. Well, why isn't that going? It's like well, it's remote as hell, and there's not that much going for it. And even even if it had an air- airport, still probably going to be three hours flight to get to Brisbane or something like that. So you've got mm. these kind of desirability factors. Aside from the fact you'll get eaten by crocodiles and everything else up there as well, but always a good selling point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Exactly. So, Crocs we, are we should right. start a tourism company. Yeah, Crocs are all right. Um. <laughs> All right, so but so we kind of covered sea change. Now it is it is a very strong driver, but it's not the only factor. Like like beach locations work only when they have those other kind of elements working towards them. But here's the thing: beaches aren't for everyone. Like for example, growing up, my my parents they you know we would go to the beach from time to time. They didn't hate it, but given a choice, or if they asked what is more desirable to you, they would choose they would choose the mountains. You know, they would they would mm-hmm. choose they would choose to go they would choose to go on a hot day they would choose to go into the mountains and find a freshwater creek for us to swim in because we were, grew up in the country, then go to the beach. They'd say, "Why would you want to go to the beach on a hot day? It's just sun everywhere. There's no shade. It's just like oh my god, it's like it's it's death out there." And they would prefer to be in a, sh- a shadier, leafier. It's typically cooler when you're not at the beach, like when you're well. That's not entirely true. It's cooler when you're in the, in the hills with more shade and more plantation and all of that kind of stuff. They would choose that. So here's the thing. Sea change isn't for everyone. Hill change also can be, right? Now, the, the fundamentals are the same. We need to look at the ripple effect. Where are people going and why, right? Because they, they typically are going to ripple out from other some other major center of activity. You need to think about accessibility and transport. 
and you've got to think about lifestyle. Now, the benefit of hill change is it's typically cheaper than sea change, right? It's dip- you're typically lower prices mm-hmm. because guess what? Those real estate agents can't pitch things like ocean views and stuff like that, right? <laughs> Tree views. Tree. You can see the leaves from Look your at the leaves. Look at them all. So you've kind of got different, you've got different factors. Now, a lot of people think that uh, hill change grows less than sea change. That's not entirely true. That is not entirely true. Colloquially, you can see examples where that is true. Mm-hmm. However, if you the inverse is also correct, right? So if you look at places like Adelaide's, the Adelaide Hills, that that's performed very well in terms of capital growth. You know, you look at places like Malini, which is which is uh, a be- has benefited from the ripple effect of the Sunshine Coast and also the hill change or tree change uh, factor where the Sunshine Coast started to go up in value and everyone said, well, you know what, I like being close to the Sunshine Coast and I also like having accessibility to Brisbane, but I don't need to be down there amongst the hustle and bustle. I would prefer to live in, you know, Mulaney's beautiful. It's like, it's got like beautiful forests and beautiful hills and it's, it's stunning, you know, it's stunning. And so people go, okay, well, I can live there and I can have another, an equally beautiful but slightly different lifestyle. Mm. And also um, it tends to appeal to people who are seeking out more of a community because it, there tends to be more of a community feel and stuff like that. So it's another way to think about how people might be choosing a location, but simply because it's in the hills or simply because it's surrounded by paddocks doesn't make it a good good choice you've still got to think about those other factors like ripple effect transport and infrastructure affordability jobs nodes all of these other kind of factors that are going to indicate that people people are going there Mm. yeah i think that's that's a really interesting point because i think you know it always comes back to psychographics it's like you might not like the idea of moving into the hills and you might personally like we love the beach right at this stage in our life we've chosen to live in bondi beach because beach, cosmopolitan kind of lifestyle, like this is what motivates us and makes us feel happy. And, you know, it's the lifestyle that we are fortunate enough to choose to live. But other people have the priority of they want to have a probably more natural, naturally beautiful environment, which you get in the hills and you get in those tree change locations. And they might want somewhere that is quieter. And like you said, they might want more of a community, have it a more tight-knit, you kind of know everyone that lives nearby. Mm. Um, But it's understanding that everyone has different priorities and it's not always the same as what you think. So like us, we think we want to live in Bondi Beach. Why doesn't everyone want to live here? A lot of people do want to live here and a lot of people do live here. And so it's noisy and not everyone wants that. So then... Yeah, I think it's just applying this overlay to all the other factors where different people want to move for different reasons. So that's kind of why a tree change location can be just as um, high performing as a beach location because it appeals to that particular niche of people who really want that solution. Yep. You know, they want natural beauty, but they don't want to go to a beach because it's too noisy or too busy or whatever. So they're like, well, natural beauty I can get over there and it's quieter and that's what I like instead. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you can still get waterfront on a river, for example. Mm. Um, so there's a couple of things as well. It's like this this sea change, tree change driver, you know, it's kind of like the lifestyle, like, mm-hmm. you know, lifestyle things that we've been talking about before and affordability. So some of the areas that have previously performed well and then are currently now performing well again off the back of everything that's been happening in 2020 at places like Cairns, Sunshine Coast, Adelaide Hills, Port Macquarie, the Hunter region is starting to grow again, um, Southern Highlands, Macedon Ranges, Borbore Shire. These are all places that, that have um, they have robust enough economies to be able to support communities yeah. and also have good connect, good connectivity and also have good lifestyle drivers. And they're a bit of a spread there, right? So there, there's, you know, places like the Adelaide Hills, there was a there was a, a road or a, a tunnel link that was built which opened up the accessibility between the Adelaide Hills and the Adelaide CBD and that transformed the growth in that area. You know, and so when you start thinking about these factors, you can really start to pin down where people are going to go and why, which kind of lends us into the last piece which is jobs nodes now we've sort of been talking in and around this but i want to talk a little bit more 
specifically because this doesn't have this isn't specifically related to lifestyle areas this is something you can start to think about in in any location mm-hmm. all right so what is a jobs node great question great question so jobs nodes um are typically associated with um uh urb- sorry um uh, planned planned government planned government uh, initiatives mm-hmm. right so so for example if you look at places like in melbourne they designated like they designated jobs nodes plans for places like dandenong uh places like sunshine um oof, epping you know and what they did so what they did and and geelong and and uh and in and in and in sydney there was blacktown and in and in uh, Perth, there's uh, Armadale and and the Quinana Precinct and Rockingham and and Joondalup as well. That's one as well. So there's some specifically designated jobs node areas. Now, you ask what they are. Well, that is where the government says, okay, so what we want to do is we want people to move in a certain direction. Therefore, we're going to create a cluster of opportunity and we're going to create incentives to encourage businesses to operate there. We're going to invest in infrastructure to give that the connectivity it needs. Uh, we're going to do all this kind of stuff to drive these specific areas of commercial intent because what that is going to do is that's that's going to help people people move in that direction, right? So, so in the case of Dandenong, you know there was a there was you know rail rail links better rail links were established. They uh, incentivized governments to set up head offices out there. They made it a more of an industrial commerce center, all of that kind of stuff. The idea is it decentralizes uh, the commercial opportunity and employment opportunities from people and moves them and helps them to dictate where the ripple effect is going to be so they can plan the infrastructure. Because if, if everything happened ad hoc, <laughs> they wouldn't even know where to build the roads. They'd be like, yeah. oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Let's build a road this way and see if people want to move that way. Yeah. So what they do is they designate specific locations. So other jobs nodes include um, uh, the northern suburbs of Brisbane, there's big jobs nodes out there, uh, Ipswich, the jobs node, um, Sunshine Coast in and of itself, jobs node. Um, and these are specifically designated and planned projects that are designed to decentralise and create economic prosperity in a variety of different locations. Mm. Adelaide, Salisbury and Elizabeth, mm-hmm. jobs node. Um, slightly different, um, but um, slightly different. But in the city of Marion, that's another jobs node or that's more of an innovation centre, but again, similar similar kind of idea in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So there's a few, you can see lots of examples of this where they specifically go, okay, we're moving people in that direction. Mm. Yeah, and this is kind of what we were talking about earlier about um, directing which way the ripple is going to go, right? It, and this is generally, again, looping back to urban renewal, which is point number two, I think, <laughs> yeah. back in 2018. <laughs> um, but generally, right, it's like the state government level generally that do this kind of planning, right? But it's not, yeah. like you said, it's not ad hoc. It's not accidental. They plan right this is the population that we need to account for in 20 years time where are they all going to go and everyone needs jobs and we everyone needs houses so they decide they look at the map and they go okay well this is kind of what's happening at the moment this is the near future what is going what is going to happen in terms of people movement if we put a jobs node over there that should fill out by the time we get to 20 in 20 years time and then that's kind of how it's going to fill the the population that we need to fill. So it was interesting you said about like they incentivize businesses to set up their major headquarters and things or their new projects kind of in these new spots because you're right, like people don't – these businesses and these major kind of government centers and these jobs nodes don't decide to just pop up out of nowhere. They, they're – a lot of the time incentivized, but there's also so much planning that goes into it. Like there is planning to make sure that it's not all full full of competing industries. Like there's probably one major transport thing and one major medical thing and they're not all competing because if it, there was no plan as well, it's like if everyone could just pick where they were going to set up and that was it, yeah. everyone would fight over the best, quote unquote, best places and then no change would ever happen outside of anything central and the economy would kind of just not 
Yeah, to be a scattergun approach. I mean, look, yeah. think, think, think about it like this. Imagine if, imagine if the government decided, okay, we're going to put a new WorkSafe office that is going to employ 5,000 people and we're just going to go plonk it randomly in some you – know, we're going to put it out in, in some tiny town which has only got 10 people in it. And they go and build this high-rise high rise building that's going to house all of the employees and all of that kind of stuff. And there was a single-lane road going in there and there was 90 houses in the town. Do you think that would go well? No, probably not. They mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to get anyone out there. So when they start seeding these locations, they need to start thinking, okay, well, it, what is the what is the density of industry? What is the type of industry? What is the um, makeup of the types of workers? Where are they going to live? Are they going to be commuting workers? Are they going to live closer? Are they? What is the so, uh, socioeconomic and psychographic profile of those people that are going to be going to those areas? What are their needs? What kind of facilities would need to be in this location to make this work? It's not just mm-hmm. a enough to go okay we're going to have a bunch of industrial land what are like are, who's going to build a cinema what's going to make this livable are, is there going to be cafe strips do we need to widen the roads what about a new rail link you know there's all of these factors need to go into planning a jobs node which is why that that like they're so valuable right if you if you if you, if there's a jobs node precinct which is being announced you do well to get to get in there on the front edge of demand because you know that that is good that's a that's a long strategy that the government is going to be pushing demand there, like actively, mm-hmm. not passively. It's not like, well, we'll just kind of draw a circle on a map and go, hey, guys, there's the, the jobs nodes out there. Yeah. It's, it's, they will manufacture the success of, the, of, that, of that project, which is why they're so interesting. Yeah, and it's kind of like you said, there's a lot of planning in, that goes into it beforehand, so they're very rarely going to get that wrong, right? But it's also if things are not going as planned for that government or that industry that's moved there, they will like they they invest a lot of money in setting up those kind of uh, jobs nodes and those locations and the infrastructure to make that work. So if there's any signs that it's not working, they're gonna keep pushing to make it work. Like they're not. It's very rare that those kind of organizations kind of throw in the towel and go okay well this didn't work because they've just basically sunk like ultimately they're all businesses right so they've just sunk a lot in something that didn't work and that usually doesn't go well to just let happen so my point is more you're right if you can get ride the wave with a jobs note yeah it's very unlikely that it will go wrong because the governments and the industries and the different bodies involved will fight like hell to make sure that it works totally it's an interesting thing because um i think there's we always talk about the holy trinity yes when we talk about the holy trinity we always talk about um cash flow positive properties in high growth areas with value add potential yep now the most common way of finding those locations or where we typically find those locations is actually the holy trinity of finding a hotspot, right mm-hmm. and that is affordability transport and infrastructure and jobs nodes if you can find those three factors working together where there's specifically planned commercial and industrial projects happening aligned with um, uh, infrastructure development and expansion and as well there is relative affordability which subsequently typically indicates uh, higher yields that is like that's bam right just go bam you're in you're in that's where you can go now here's the thing there's kind of another there's like right now 2020 has shifted that so so now that that holy trinity still is absolutely a perfect a perfect mix so what we, i'll just recap on that again jobs nodes affordability transport infrastructure those three factors out of all of these 10 they work beautifully together they're so mm-hmm. harmonious in what they provide that it creates a lot of growth opportunity particularly if you can get in early right so you can look out for those factors However, 2020 created a whole other holy trinity, which I th- I'm going into 2021 is like the one that I'm actually most excited about. It is uh, lifestyle, affordability, and infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? And be- and that's purely driven by the fact that jobs nodes, uh, while still important, there are there is a there's a propensity for people to work remotely now. Mm-hmm. So that's created this this environment where there are jobs jobs can be anywhere and they don't have to be in proximity to those specific commercial locations. That doesn't change the fact that most people don't have the luxury to just go and work from their laptop wherever they want. So you can kind of look at these two um, slightly different holy trinities to think about the best places for you to invest. Now Interestingly, we talked about uh, we talked about lifestyle before. Now, lifestyle doesn't have to be by the beach. Lifestyle can be 
uh, regional and it can be a country area. And this is actually something that we are seeing so much more now at the end of 2020 and as we go into 2021. You know, there are regional locations like Dubbo, which have done pretty well in the past, but actually people are going, well, if you look at the vacancy rate of Dubbo from January 2020 to now, it's plummeted. It's fallen off a cliff, right? Because more and more people are going, you know what? I'm going to move out there because I have the ability to do what I want, where I want, with who I want. Mm. And and same thing goes for even places like like very unsuspecting locations, places like Tamworth, for mm. example, which have got a lot of good jobs growth. And people are now going, okay, hang on a second. Places like Orange have gone up in value quite a lot. And so there are kind of these regional locations which have gone up quite a lot in value and people are then looking for the next best thing and that's the ripple effect in play there as well. And also then jobs growth and also then transport and infrastructure and affordability and lifestyle because all these places have got airports and they've also got good road links. So it's very interesting when you start tying that kind of stuff together and start thinking outside the box. Do you think there's an element of that where people might be like considering the the events of – 2020 might might be moving back home like areas like Dubbo it's like people might have may have grown up there and their families like their core families still live there so but then you know they got a job in the city so they moved to Sydney or wherever mm. and then maybe through 2020 they may have lost their job or something happened or they can work remotely or something and they've realized their value is actually their family and they want to be close to their family and may move back do you see that might be at play? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> On that, I, Speculating I, yeah, again. <laughs> I, I usually try and know things. On that front, I don't know. Like, I don't know mm. necessarily whether people are more prone to move back to places where they originated from. If I was to, if you were to ask my opinion, it's probably would, too early to tell yet. If, yeah, if you would ask my opinion, I'd probably say, uh, Broadly, no. It's obviously going to apply in some people's situation. But mm-hmm. if you imagine young couple meet like young couple, like two individuals, they move to the city when they're eighteen. They grew up in the city, chasing their corporate career or whatever, and then they meet. And one of them is from, I don't know, Dubbo, and the other one's from the Latrobe Valley. They have kids. They live in Sydney. Oh my god, life's great. Coronavirus hits. Let's move back home to be with family. But yeah, which, way, which do they, way do they go? Which way do they go? Right, it's actually more. I think in some cases that's going to be uh, applicable, and in some cases there'll be a stronger desire potentially. Um, you know, if there's a young family, for example, it's quite common for uh, to, to want to be near the the female partner's family. That's quite a common trend that people say because they want to be near their mum and all that, raising kids. I don't know what they're doing, all that kind of stuff, right? Which is pretty normal. Um, however, I think it's probably just as likely that. Um, a young couple like ourselves would go, that's great. That's great, mum and dad. And yes, we will come and visit you. However, we have a greater desire to live near the beach in a warmer location. Thanks. And so I think, I don't know that that's necessarily the play, but I think think when you start factoring in all of these other things like affordability, jobs, infrastructure, um, lifestyle, all these kind of factors together, that's where you really start to see the magic happen. Mm. Cool. Cool. So that's 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 it. That's we, it. We've done it. We did it. It is now twenty twenty five, but we got there. <laughs> totally. And I think here's the interesting th- here's the interesting big takeaway out of this uh, this whole series, this series finale, and and all the other parts we've done with it. I encourage mm-hmm. you to go back and listen to them all. But the big takeaway is really that um, you need to start breaking free from these preordained paradigms around where is a good location and where is not a good location you yep. know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, hype and hyperbole around oh buy here it's a growth location uh, anyone can say that you know in fact i had a chat with a i had a chat with a guy uh, last week who was referred to as by a client um, because he was being uh, pitched to by a developer who was saying growth location, blah, 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 billions in infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Positive cash flow. Yeah, <laughs> positive right. cash flow after tax and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but his friends had a look at the deal and said something doesn't stack up here, referred him to me to have a quick chat. Now, the interesting thing was it didn't really have any of these factors. You know, it was it was mm. it was very speculative. It was kind of like what we spoke about earlier. It was in this like inverted commas growth corridor. It's like, yeah, but when? When it's a really good example, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it was you know the, if, I'll, I'll talk about it more specifically so he was being pitched that the the, the way that he was going to make all this money was to build in a development site in Pimpamar uh, and that it was going to be positive cash flow once he lost a heap of money on negative gearing and that there was billions in infrastructure happening and all of this kind of stuff and yeah that's that's great and ostensibly and as I said to him I said everything they're saying is true Yes, you will make your cash back after after you lose money on negative gearing and claiming tax back. Cool. Yeah, you get that depreciation and stuff. All good. Yeah, you'll get that. And yes, that is a growth corridor that is happening between the Gold Coast and Brisbane. And yes, there is billions in infrastructure happening there. However, you've got like all these other competing factors that are working against it. Things like supply risk, uh, things like lack of lifestyle and all these other kind of factors. So the idea with this series is that what you should be able to do is you should be able to use this almost like a playbook. You know, you should be able to download the guide, look at this, and whenever you're thinking or you hear about a, a location, if someone says, oh, my God, there's this new hotspot and it's out in wherever, you should be able to get out your playbook and you should be able to go, okay, cool. So what are these factors has it got? And how would I know? And how can I test my hypothesis? And is this on the front edge of demand? You know, does it does it have an urban renewal project? You know, does it have... You know, the characteristics of the stayers. You know, is it a lifestyle location? What about the transport and infrastructure? Is it like I? You know, great lifestyle. It's on the beach, but it's no one's going to move there. So you can start to then use this as your, as your guide to finding the best locations. And because they're based on a set of principles rather than just tactics necessarily, you're going to be able to apply this same thinking in 2021 and in 2022 and in 2023 and you're still going to find the same results as long as you know what you're looking for. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good it's a really good example you brought up because I think it's it's so much easier for people to just buy in locations that other people recommend are good and other people you you think have more authority or they might be uh implying certain growth projections or whatnot and you think that they've got the authority and you think you know nothing so you listen to them because you see them as well they're in real estate right so they must know more than me um but if you've listened to this whole series i'm telling you you would know more than most real estate agents 100 uh, <laughs> absolutely you would and this is kind of part of why we're doing this whole thing is because we want to like you just said we want to empower everyone that's listening to understand that there's these 10 kind of main things that you can apply to any location that you're thinking about or if someone recommends an area, um, don't just listen to them because they say like, oh, well, it's, it's, it's going to ripple this way. It's going to ripple out from Brisbane and go up that way. And it's like, okay, but what's going what's gonna to keep it there and w- when is that going to happen and like what's, what's the industry like and what's the infrastructure like and actually be a bit more intelligent and um, analytical about your decisions because this is ultimately like it's your responsibility you, you, a lot of people like to take the advice of someone else and then decide that they were like they were pressured into it and then you can't outsource responsibility no and then they go well it wasn't my responsibility because somebody else told me about it but ultimately if you go and buy in a location that is your responsibility again this is part of why we're here is because we're trying to help people make the <laughs> make the right decisions so that they don't end up making the wrong decisions and feel stuck because they've listened to the wrong people um but it's um oh i lost my train of thought ah! oh no ah! um well here's a, he, do you want me to pick it up what was i saying don't listen to don't listen to don't listen to false prophets who just peddle ideas think for yourself Okay, cool. Well, I want to bring this back to another little thing because past, past, and this is a really great, great thing for this whole series as well. Mm. Past performance is never an indicator of future performance, yep. right? So, so a lot of people say, "Oh my God, what's been the historical growth over the last couple of years?" Doesn't matter. Like it basically yep. does not matter. These ten factors that we've we've illustrated to you over this series, and you can get again in the resources section on the investorlab.com.au. These matter way more than past price performance. Like past price performance literally doesn't mean anything. And if you go back to the first episode, the example we used the, was that in 2012, if you were to draw, if you if in 2012, if you were going to invest 600 grand, would you have been better off investing in Darwin or Sydney? Now in 2012, you would have probably been thinking Darwin because Darwin had been booming, right? And if you looked at the past price performance, it was going off. You know, it was going off. Now in 2012, if you did, if you had invested 600 grand in Darwin. 
you probably would have had about 6% growth in the next year and then it would have gone backwards from there because it was already it, like the economy there was getting frothy and if you looked at the fact these these hot, these hotspot factors it was starting to lack them however if you looked at sydney in 2012 everyone thinks oh my god sydney their prices always go up they don't like in 2012 the historical growth in sydney was poor it was mediocre at best you know like it was a bit of a it was a it was a it was a swamp when it terms in, in terms of in terms of growth However, if you'd invested 600 grand in Sydney in 2012, you probably would have had about 14% growth and continued growth over the rest of the over the rest of the next 7 or 8 years, right? And so and so this is the difference between identi- being able to identify these kind of growth locations in advance and positioning yourself on the front edge of demand rather than just going, okay, well, I'll just follow the crowd, I'll be a sheep, I'll be part of the herd, and I'll go where everyone else tells me to go because if you're just following the crowd, you're probably going to get burnt, or or at best have an underperforming property portfolio. Hmm. And like we've been saying, like it is, it's way easier to follow the crowd, right? It is way oh, it's easier. so much less scary. Way easier to hear that a location is a hotspot, and you hear a lot of people say that it's a hotspot. So I'm going to go over there because it's just it's easier. Like I I put my trust in these whoever I'm listening to, and that's where I'm going to go. And then if it goes to if it all goes wrong. Then it's all right. I listened to someone else, and it wasn't really my decision. Yeah, way easier to do that. But the kind of results that we know are possible for everyone that's listening, it's like they're not they're not easy results. Like not everyone can get res- like amazing results. Not everyone can build a property portfolio. That's why not everyone has a property portfolio because most of the time people take the easy route. Most of the time, people people make decisions based on what other people think and what other people tell them and what other people kind of give them the permission to act upon versus actually doing the work and actually kind of educating yourself and actually just thinking a little bit more before you just follow the crowd, which is just what we've been talking about. Exactly, exactly, exactly. There's a reason that 70, 74% of property investors never get past one property and 92% never get past two. And that's exactly what you just spoke about. You know, following the crowd, buying in the wrong place, not buying the right types of assets. I really hope that this series has helped people to start to weed through that noise and to make the right decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. So, on that note, guys, let's wrap it up. If you want to find out more about this, then as I've mentioned a couple of times in this episode, head to theinvestorlab.com.au, go to the resource section, download the How to to Identify a Real Estate Hotspot Guide. That's going to give you everything you need to know. And of course, if you want some one-to-one help with that, um, just reach out and let us know. Uh, We can have a chat. And if we're not the right fit to help you, then we'll steer you in the right direction and refer you to someone who is. um, but yeah, we wish you all the best and the greatest levels of prosperity. And if you've enjoyed this series, then please let us know because we love the feedback. Thanks, guys. We'll Thank see you, you on the next episode.